Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. It's a big day today because today is the day we finish our Galatians series, guys. I've actually put my notes here, pause for audible cheer. Uh, (laughs) um, Yeah, but all jokes aside, it's been so good to kind of deep dive into this book. And I know over the last couple of months, I have definitely learned a lot from it, not only because I've been preaching it. Um, (laughs) But yeah, we've been on quite a journey with Paul. And we've seen him like write from deep passion and frustration. We've seen him write as an apostle, as a brother, and even at one point as a maternal figure. And so he's had to fight to affirm his authority in Christ. We've seen him call out legalism, racism, and disunity. And throughout this letter to the Galatians, he's been reiterating how the only thing that justifies us or makes us right with God is the cross. So now through the cross, we belong to God's family, not by anything we have done, but only because of what Jesus has done for us. And so the implications for this is that we are now part of a new multi-ethnic family joined together by our faith in Jesus and the cross. Regardless of our social status, ethnicity or gender, we can now all receive God's blessing. So then in the last couple of weeks, Tim has taken us through how the spirit working within us is what changes us and that we are actually a fulfillment of the law by how we love those around us. And that the fruit of the spirit working within us is love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And these fruits require cultivation, as Tim mentioned last week. We reap what we sow and it requires an intentionality and obedience from us. So throughout Galatians, Paul has challenged, he's pleaded, and now in the passage we're going to be looking at today, he's drawing to a close, asking us, what do we boast in? So if you want to turn to Galatians 6, verse 11, it should appear up on the screen as well if you don't have your Bibles, and I will read it out. See with what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised, that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What's count, what counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, sisters and brothers. Amen. I'm just going to pray before we kick off. Yeah, Lord, I thank you for this book, Lord. I thank you for the message of the cross justifying us and that being the only thing, Lord, I thank you that it's not based on our merits or works. And I pray, God, you would speak through this final passage today, Lord. Would you speak into our hearts, God? Amen. Right, something we have seen regularly throughout Galatians is Paul kicks us off straight away with another potentially on-the-nose comment. So he says, see what large letters I use as I write with my own hand. And it's presumed that actually for most of the letters that Paul sent, he actually had a scribe. But for this last passage of Galatians, Paul declares he's actually writing this part 
himself. And different theologians have interpreted this phrasing differently. From some earlier passages that we looked at, it was implied that Paul had an illness connected to his eyes. So maybe he was saying potentially having to write in big letters so that he could see his own writing. Um, Whereas others have interpreted it as it was writing in large letters to draw attention to his final warning. And if you see a warning sign, it would be unusual for the font to be Comic Sans 8.5, wouldn't it? It would be, no, it'd be like Gotham Black, like big, and it would be, you know, size 200, and it'd be like in red or something. That's a, that's a proper warning sign. So this is what he's doing here. Like I said at the same beginning of chapter one, he said, I am astonished. Or chapter three said, you foolish Galatians. And Paul is once more starting off this message with an almost pre-underlining of what he's going to bring, kind of like a drum roll. He wants to, them to understand the gravity of what he's going to be saying. And as we go on to verse 12, he says, those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. Now we know Paul is referring to the false prophets here. And as we saw him back in Galatians 4, Paul said in verse 17, they make much out of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. And the false prophets, they don't actually have genuine care for the Galatians here. They are influencing them for their own personal gain and glory. They're fixated on impressing people by means of the flesh and by means of their own works. And throughout this book, we've often focused on how we relate to the Galatians. But what I actually want our focus to be on firstly in this passage is how we actually relate to the false prophets here. So firstly, I want us to think about who are we influencing? I was catching up with one of my good friends this week called Sarah, and Sarah is based in the Midlands, and she's got a history of working with um, addicts and ex-offenders. And because of this, she deals with a lot of people who are struggling with their mental health quite a lot. And she's got a real heart to see God work in these situations. And we were chatting just recently about how she started up a community group in a hostel for ex-offenders alongside her husband. And they go in on Monday evenings and share Jesus with these guys. And two weeks ago, they had their first meeting and it went really well. They had a real mix of people that showed up. And there was this one guy, I'm going to, for story's sake, call him Dave, that was um, particularly vocal within the group. And he wasn't always driving the conversation in the most kind of positive of angles. But despite this, my friend Sarah, she was really encouraged because people were asking for prayer. They were asking questions and they were enthusiastic. So week one was a success. And, um, and then we spoke again this week, and I asked her how the second week had gone, and she said no one came. And she found out that this Dave guy had basically been unimpressed with how the meeting had gone, and he'd actually said, see, I haven't come, so no one else has come. You're not going to get anyone. Those people were coming because of me. And Dave, in this situation, he had influence. And actually, having influence is one of those gifts that can be used for good or for bad. And in this scenario, Dave was using his influence to deter and stop people from attending this community group. He was proudly displaying the power and status he had through the influence he had on others' attendance. And Sarah and I were chatting about this. We were saying, how amazing would it be if he would be such an asset to the kingdom if his influence was flipped? He would see the kingdom of God grow because that influence he had was, was a strong thing. And he had the option to use the influence in two ways. And it was the same for the false prophets here. The influence that they had on the Galatians had the opportunity for good or for bad. 
He had the opportunity to lead them closer to the cross, therefore exalting God, or closer to their own merits, therefore exalting themselves. And this can actually work itself out in subtle ways in our own lives. Say, like, imagine the scenario that I think we probably all have been in at some point where someone is getting praise for something that you'd actually quietly helped them along with or encouraged them in. And the temptation there is to go, oh yeah, that was actually my doing. Like, that was great, but I actually I had, a, I had a foothold in that. Or imagine me saying this morning that Joanna's leading us so well in worship, you know, like, she's doing such a good job of leading us to Jesus, but it's because of the two-hour session I did with her last week. And I would be promoting myself there. I wouldn't be rejoicing in the devotion that Joanna has to God, but I'd be promoting myself through her works. And the false prophets here were using their influence for self-promotion, for status, and for power. And what's more, to avoid persecution at the end of verse 12 says, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. As we've seen throughout this book, by preaching the continuous need for circumcision to be saved, they were conveniently avoiding the persecution that Paul was facing in preaching the true gospel. And I'd just like you to think for a moment about who in your life you have influence over. Maybe your peers, people who are newer to faith than yourself. How are we using that influence? Do we speak well of those around us? Do we encourage them in their faith? Do we challenge them? Do we push them forward at the risk of pulling ourselves back without the need for recognition? Do we sometimes influence them so that we can later boast in our own status, gain or glory? Or potentially, we're influencing without realising. As humans, we mimic the actions and behaviours and opinions of those around us. And as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, as we walk in the spirit, our behaviours change. And we must be sure to be walking in the spirit and aware of the influence that we have on those around us. So as we go on to see, Paul says the only thing we can boast in is the cross. Verse 14, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Usually when we boast, it's in the things that we feel like we've played a part in, isn't it? I still claim to this day that my brother wouldn't be married right now with three kids if he didn't have two sisters like me and my sister, refining him over the years. Um, (laughs) You're welcome, Josiah. He's not going to be listening, so it's fine. (laughs) But what Paul is talking about here is boasting is something in which we have played no part whatsoever. He's even saying here that this is the only exception, the only window, the only scenario in which to boast, in the cross and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't boast in your status, your knowledge, your earthly possessions, abilities. Only boast in the cross. Because as he states, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now for the mathematicians among us, I count that as nothing left, right? (laughs) We have parted ways with the world. Before Christ, we were seeking to stay right with the world, to find fulfillment from it, seeking gratification from it, but it doesn't satisfy us. And as Jesus says at the well in John 4, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This should give us a sense of freedom this morning. The world that is so caught up in accomplishments, life stages, judgment, social status. We don't need to pay heed to the world's system of works and accomplishments. It has no claim on us. The world has been crucified to me and I to the world. This idea of boasting in the cross is keeping it at the forefront of our minds. And I just want to take you a moment 
take a moment to think about um, a scenario where there's a subject that a certain person loves to always bring up. Um, and when I was prepping of this, I was trying to think of a situation, and I got it. And um, who here took a gap year? Yeah, yeah. How often do you talk about that gap year? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or travelling? <laughs> you know who you are. Oh, I know who you are. Um, and when I was a fresher living in halls, there was a particular girl that I think 90% of her time she was talking about her gap year, and then the other 10% she was hoping that it would come up in conversation or that she would lead an anecdote into the gap year. And it was just one of those things that you just knew, <clears throat> Kaylee, uh, would just always do it. And um, she loved to relay long monologues about her time in Southeast Asia or when she visited the set of Hobbiton in New Zealand or visiting an elephant sanctuary in Thailand. And her experiences travelling around the world were always at the forefront of her mind. And everything she did now in the glossy heights of Leicester reminded her of something or some memory and she wouldn't be able to contain herself from saying and being like, oh my word, this reminds me of this time on my gap year. And um, it was always, it was constant. And I can't quite believe I'm drawing this comparison here, but this is exactly what we need to be like, but with the cross. Like my friend's travels lived on the tip of her tongue and were constantly ruminating around her mind. We need to do the same, but with the cross. We should spend time pondering about it, talking about it, singing about it, sharing about it. What are we boasting in? Are we boasting in earthly things of the, earthly things of the flesh that will wither and die? Or are we boasting in the cross which gives life? This is also costly. To boast in the cross and not go along with the world, it sets us apart because the closer we get to the cross, the more we are faced with the reality of our own sin. When we imagine Jesus on the cross bearing our sins, bearing our dark thoughts, our foolish actions, our pride, our idolatry, we see ourselves in our sinful state and we see the wonder of Jesus for who he truly is. John Stott, um, a theologian, puts it this way. He says, Nothing in history or in the universe cuts us down to size like the cross. All of us have inflated views of ourselves, especially in self-righteousness, until we have visited Calvary. It is there at the foot of the cross that we shrink to our true size. It's in the sight of the cross that we see how truly nothing in our salvation is based on our own merits, but all on Jesus' work. And this displeases people a bit. People don't like the idea of being faced with their own sin, their own wrongdoings. It sounds easier to live in a world with the mantra, you do good and the good comes back to you. Or in the terms of Galatia, you follow these rules and you'll be justified. Self-works and self-exaltation are a lot more palatable than being faced with our own shortcomings. But this is something that Paul also boasts in. In 2 Corinthians 12, he says, But he, God, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul recognises that when we are faced with the reality of our own weakness, we also come to face to face with the power of Christ. And he said he even delights in the persecution he faces. This is such a big challenge for us today. A few months ago, I was getting my hair cut. And um, I started speaking to my hairdresser about how I worked for the church and that I'm a Christian. And she was like, oh, me too. I'm a Christian. And then she was like, I'm also a Muslim. And um, she then went on to speak about how the two faiths, well, basically all religion is the same. We're all worshipping the same God and we ultimately believe the same thing. And I sheepishly just kind of smiled and didn't challenge anything 
that she said, and maybe it was the scissors coming close to my hair, but I just, I largely, it was my own fear of coming against her truth. It was the fear of minute persecution, insult, or judgment that I might receive from her. But what we have is the truth, and what we have is hope, and Paul wasn't fearful of sharing it, even when it often cost him his life. And I shouldn't be fearful of it when it might cost me a dodgy haircut. But of course, we have to be tactful and careful in how we share this as well. But I'd love for you to just think for a moment of those people in your lives who don't know Jesus, who maybe you've potentially held back from sharing him with, possibly because at your workplace or on your course, they don't know you're a Christian yet. Or maybe they have a painful history with the church or religion and you're fearful of how they'll react to you speaking about Jesus. Or potentially, they're going through a really difficult time right now and you're worried about how they'll react to a message of hope when their life currently looks hopeless. By ruminating on the cross and reminding ourselves of the grace and freedom it brings, we can't underestimate the power that declaring this truth will bring to those around us. And as Paul goes on to say, it's through the cross that we are now a new creation. So verse 15, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Paul is saying here, it doesn't matter if you've been circumcised or not. What matters is, are you a new creation? Circumcision was a bodily act in the Old Testament that signified something deeper. Paul talks about it in Romans that it's actually now circumcision of the heart. Circumcision was always a signpost of something greater to come. And as Christians, I think we can often stare at the signpost, forgetting the thing that it's pointing to. We get pernickety about the practicalities of fasting when it's actually about drawing a deeper longing out for God. And that's just one example. I was at a conference recently where they were speaking about singleness and marriage and how the church globally today can often put a strong emphasis on earthly marriage. And this can work itself out in subtle ways, but it's there. The thought of who, shall, who will, who should I marry is a consuming one. And I recently had someone relate to me that they were told that if they wanted to get further in their ministry, they should get married. Marriage is not the be-all and end-all. And Paul even states that it's better to be single. But one of the main points of marriage is that it's a signpost to something greater. It's a signpost to something deeper. It symbolises the union of Christ and his church. And Paul in Ephesians 5 says... For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. And also Revelation 19, verse 6. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Marriage, this earthly covenant that is a wonderful and beautiful thing and something to celebrate, as we will be doing soon. Um, it is, it's wonderful, but it doesn't take centre stage. And actually, it is and always will be a symbol of something greater to come. Circumcision has been a signpost to being a new creation now through the cross. We must be careful that we don't worship the signpost not, and rather than the thing that it's pointing to. So what does it mean to be a new creation? Earlier in Galatians 2 verse 20, we see Paul say, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
When we are a new creation, we become dead to our old selves, our old habits and ways of merit in order to become a new creation in Christ. Verse 16, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. Paul is praying a blessing here to all that follow this way of living, to all that live as a new creation, to the Israel of God. He's referring here to the covenant that God made with Abraham that we looked at back in Galatians 3, verse 7. It says, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Through faith, we are benefactors of the covenant made to Abraham. We, united as one family, are the Israel of God. Being a new creation is acknowledging the difference between grace and law. When we think of recreating ourselves on an earthly level, we might think of refreshing our style or haircut or maybe starting counselling or becoming a jogger. Um, But with all these good things, you still have remnants of who you were. You still resemble aspects or likeness to your old self. But this new creation that we become through the cross leaves no resemblance to who we once were. This is an inward and outward change of grace that we've had no contribution to. And as we saw a couple of weeks ago, we now live by the Spirit. Galatians 5 verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And this comes with an instruction, an intentional action to keep in step with the Spirit. And in verse 17, Paul finishes with, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Through the persecution that Paul faced, the scars from countless stonings, beatings, they even left him for dead at one point. He counted all of these as marks of Jesus, almost as a branding that he belonged to Christ. And I think if we think of branding in today's mind, my mind kind of goes to um, like tattoos. And generally, unless you've had a wild night out in Ibiza, um, a tattoo resembles something of great importance to you. And the ones that hold meaning aren't like a whim, or they either, either relate to a loved one or a cherished season in your life, or some of us, our faith. And Paul saw all these wounds as scars, as a branding, the thing that he cared most about, the thing he boasted most in, and the thing that had the biggest influence on his life, and the thing that was consistently at the tip of his tongue and at the forefront of his mind. Here in these last few sentences, he almost turns the concept of circumcision on its head. Where you had to be brandished to then be saved. He's saying, look here, I have been saved and now I have been brandished with the marks of Jesus. And I delight in it. There is so much for us to learn from Galatians and take with us. Through the cross and Jesus, we are now one family walking in step with the spirit, full of faith and with the cross ever before us.